Welcome back, everybody, to the Hold That Podcast podcast. I am your host, Chris Branch, along with my co-host, Brody Miller. We are both of The Athletic. We are happy to be here with you today. Brody, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? I, You know, I got a, a huge thing happened uh, in my life which last week, which is surely the biggest thing that will happen to me in this calendar year, uh, is that I had to get glasses to see. Whoa. I, so you, the year you're becoming a father is also the year you just like slowly become more and more of an adult yeah, for yeah, glasses yeah. now. Right. So um, it was it was really annoying because my wife has always told me that I need to get my eyes checked and I always thought I had great vision. Then you go to the eye doctor and you do the test. He's like, look, you could use glasses. You technically have 20-20 vision, but like things are a little blurry far away, which they are. So I got me some 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 blue light uh, prescription glasses from Warby Parker. I can see the TV from far away. It. I'm looking at my screen all day with no ill effects, feeling like I'm 32 and thriving. Um, and I can still say I have perfect 2020 vision. So nobody loses here. Um, I just can't wait to. I'm imagining you in like the you know like the old dad like the glasses are down, but you're kind of peeking above them. Look, you know what I'm talking about like. I, I'm imagining you doing that on the couch with Katie. Yeah, the, 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 the funny, the funny part is, is that these glass, like I ordered these glasses online because they didn't have them in the store, uh, for you know prescription stuff. So I need to get them adjusted, and I just haven't gone. So they they slide down my nose a little bit sometimes, and then I realize I just look like an, an old fart, and I and I have to put them back up and make sure I look hip again. Um, just lean anyway, into it, man. Being love, old fart. Yeah, love it. Uh. Anyway, let's get to what we're actually talking about, which is uh, LSU sports. Uh, today, we are going to go over some burning questions on Brian Kelly and his timeline. We're going to talk about the NFL draft and even next year's draft. Uh, we are going to go through the football schedule this year and go game by game and break it, uh, as I prefer to, with pure fear or confidence. And then, of course, we have an interesting last five minutes clubs this week. Thank you, everybody, for sending your questions. We're excited to get there. But let's get to the meat of podcast first. Uh, Brody uh, just published a mailbag this week, which was great. Uh, anyone with an athletic subscription can go read it. You should. The most interesting question on there to me as I read through it was the first one, which is talking about Brian Kelly and expectations. You know, on this podcast, I feel like we haven't really discussed his expectations too much because we have, I think, rightly focused on the rebuilding job that Brian Kelly has had to do with, you know, overhauling the entire building, kind of overhauling a lot of practices, keeping this athletic department and this football program stitched together, uh, that we've really focused on that part instead of like what the actual on-field results are and when we will consider him a success or a failure. So, but I do think it's a fascinating conversation and something I haven't thought about, um, Brody, remind me, remind me what you said in there. You said it was like four or five years, you said, to get to a yeah, playoff. Yeah, I think the, qu the question posed that is like, I believe Daniel J said, I would imagine he is around three years to get to the playoff, right? Like, and then he was asking how long is his leash? And I think, and granted, like, I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts because I tend to just be more conservative is not the right word, but just like. You're more level -headed. of a process, big you don't, picture guy. Yeah, you're and objective. I just, like I view it as in year three, if LSU is clearly back among the top teams and hasn't quite made the playoff, yeah, I don't, I don't think you put him on a hot seat. Like, so my answer was, I do not think he is like 
in trouble if he's not in the playoff after three years because, one, context matters, right? It's just the SEC is just kind of different. It's like you're in the SEC West also. So you might be the third best team in the country, but you also might only have a 20% chance of making it. So they're going to be, let's say hypothetically, I don't know, year three, keep on, year one, expectations should be low. If they win eight games, good job, Brian Kelly. Year two should be better. You hope they're back in the New Year's six and all that. And then year three, it's like, I don't know, say they go 10 and two or even 11 and one, but 10 and two, your losses are like, I don't know, Bama and let's just say Auburn or AM mm-hmm. or Florida. And like, yeah, you're not, that's a really good team. You're going to finish the year like sixth in the country, but you're not going to make the playoff in that scenario because Bama's going to be in or AM's going to be in. Like, it's just hard to get if, without playing in the SEC championship game. So, my answer is, yeah, I get that, like, after year three, if he's not there, you're going to start having bigger discussions. Sure. Like, if he doesn't have a, t- a playoff and you're going to spring year four, I'm sure, like, fine bomb most days you're going to be like, all right, you know, pressure's on. But that doesn't also, I just think, like, if that's where he is in year three, he is succeeding. He has this program in title contention, which is really, I think, the metric. Like, and I think this is how Scott Woodward looks at it, too. I don't view sports in, like, just do you do the job or not? It's just because college football to some extent is you have X amount of shots. It's like the Omaha thing, right? It's like your job's to get there and then it's a toss-up. Like right. if they are legitimately in that mix by the end of year three, you've succeeded because it's gonna, things are just going to break your way some years and others. So my answer was I think it's a little more of a leash than, that, than Daniel thinks just because the rebuild involved, how hard it is to make the playoff from the West – and and also let's just also he's a ten year one hundred dollar million dollar contract so like he has right. at least five years probably so anyway that's where I take it but I can't wait to hear how you view it I actually this is going to be slightly boring but I do agree with you because the the fan in me likes to point out that LSU has the hardest path to the college football playoff of any Power Five situation as does Auburn or Texas A M or Alabama or even one of the Mississippi schools or Arkansas, whenever they do that, because we play in the hardest division in football. I mean, there's a reason that LSU struggled so much uh, getting there, you know, over the last decade. And it's because they would always roll into the Alabama game, six and one or seven and oh, uh, get beaten down. And then that's it. You're toast no matter what. Um, I guess, I mean, there was never a situation where LSU was 11 and one heading into the, the last week and you know we don't have to rehash less miles' struggles post bama uh every single year where it just looked like uh, a high school a jv team was out there after getting destroyed <laughs> by bama but um i guess maybe that's that's a leeway i this is all to say i agree with you um i need at least one 10 win season in the first three years and i assume that a 10 win season fair. gets you a new york six bowl so I think nine most years in the West gets you the New Year's Six, yeah. Well, then I would like a New Year's Six in the first two years. I agree with him then. I I need... Yeah, I think that's fair. I, and, like, I think it, it might happen this year. I mean, we might get surprised by it this year. There's The thing is, LSU is always talented, and if the talent level slips at LSU, that's when you need to start worrying uh, to me, and I don't really foresee that happening. I could be wrong. Um, I do have a pretty level head about the playoff, to be honest. It's just yeah, so hard to just, get there. There's four teams. You have the sports biggest juggernaut 
um, in your division and you have the sport's second or third biggest juggernaut in the opposite division. And if you want to get to the playoff, you're probably going to have to play both of them. There's, there's a large yeah. chance that you'll have to play both of those programs. And, you know, the, the one year LSU has made the playoff, it happened to be like arguably the best team to ever play college football and just steamrolled everybody. Didn't steamroll Alabama, but steamrolled everybody else. And yeah, so I, I just think it's a, it's a hard level to get to. I would love for there to be a year where LSU has one loss on the schedule and just to see, like, do they get the fourth seed? Or does a one-loss Georgia in the national in, in the SEC championship game get the fourth seed? I mean, I would love to see that. You know, Alabama snuck in with that before, so if, if those if those flip, I would be fascinated. Um, yeah, I think I need. Well, and, yeah, I, I I think the metric, just like you said, but the metric we need to look at for success in the first three or four years needs to be top ten finishes. I would love a top six. Finish. I could not agree more. I, like. Like, like you're right. Like a ten, a ten to LSU team who like, you know, beat somebody in the Fiesta Bowl by two touchdowns in the first three years, banner year. Like, give me that. I need it. I, I, I just, I'm not gonna place that. Like, he's Brian Kelly is doing a really job communicating. Let me say this in a better way. He's doing a really job communicating that he is building from the ground up, and there yeah. might be a really good like. There's, there's really good tools and parts all around. So it's not gonna be like. You were building a brand new house from scratch, but at the same time, this is a building process, and it's like it's kind of what Nick Saban talks about at Alabama, and it's process and all. It's kind of it's kind of boring, but it's really good. And so I'm giving him the leeway to do that, and I think he is the guy to do that. Um, so I slightly disagree with those expectations. Yeah, and I think it leads to a greater discussion on like what the actual standards are at LSU. And as much as, you know, Scott Woodward wants to say, like, they're winning, he always, I think he always says the standard is conference championships. I don't know if, like, at the end of the day, that's actually how he's going to view it. And again, this, he was not the one who gave this contract, so don't, like, I'm not saying, so don't correct me. I know Joe Oliva did this, but I just feel like history has actually shown LSU is not a championship or bus standard of, of coaches. Like, it is... People are bringing up that Ed Ogeron got fired two years removed and very much like not understanding what really happened. Mm-hmm. He got fired because they were in free fall. Yeah. It's not like they just didn't win for two years. Right. They went 500 two years in a row in an ugly 500. And it was also like a good AD always fires before it sees its bottom. And it was on its way to a new bottom where players were leaving every week. Injuries were piling up every week. And yes, that was, some of that stuff was how things were run. Uh, just recruiting was iffy. Everything depth was just roster management was disastrous. We don't have to go through it all, but like that is why Adoja almost fired two years removed. It, it wasn't because, because of the standard. Exam- yes, because I will. I and I got uh, into a debate with Daniel in the comments as well. A good debate. Daniel is one of our more loyal uh, followers, but like, yeah, he, you know, he was basically pointing that out and all these things. And I'm like, guys, I would remind everyone. Ed Ogeron going nine and three in 2018 and then winning the Fiesta Bowl and finishing top 10 got him an extension. And I know it's a Leva, but still, like, the standard isn't quite. Now, granted, I mean, we're talking like, you know, if six years in, it's like every year they're New Year's six and never more. Absolutely, there will be a frustration, no doubt. But, like, grand scheme, all this, like, less miles. And again, different, he had a title. 
you know, almost a second title. Like he was doing great, but Les Miles had about seven years of just kind of solid hanging around that top fifteen football. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. And no, it was. It, I just and, think, yeah, yeah. So I just think like nine. I think nine and three when you're talking about it in spring sounds really bad to a lot of people as like a standard. But nine and three in context usually feels very different. Eighteen being the example. Now eighteen. Maybe that's unfair because 18 involved like three top 10 wins, right? Like they beat Auburn on the road. Oh. They demolished number two Georgia. So sure, great. maybe that's not quite fair. Well, but we, we also didn't expect still, that. Nine and three was, in the yeah. SEC is you are top 10. Like, and I just think people need to remember that. All right. I'll put my fan hat on there because I, to me as an LSU fan, nine, like I get what you're saying. It makes sense. I'm not saying nine and three all the time. I am not saying that. I think. Just to be clear, I think in this specific setup, ten and two is the standard to me, because that means that you are. Yeah, I, I don't mean nine and three is okay to be a standard every year. I'm saying nine and three, like in year two or three, isn't the end of the world. Oh my god, that's nine, all I'm saying. I mean, I I want them to win nine games this year. I I think they could do that. So, uh, to me, that's that's not going to be an issue. I would like him to be a, like an averaging a 10 and 2 every year in the regular season. And I know that's high. I know that's tough. But if you think about Alabama. Oh, in the grand scheme of, of his 10 year deal, that's, that is the right expectation. Yeah. I just think that's it. And like, you know, depending on whenever Nick Saban retires, which I don't think he ever will, his old Palpatine over there. Um, yeah. Kirby Smart is a young man who's not leaving anytime soon, barring And also, we cannot ignore the A&M thing. As much as we yada yada it because of like, oh, A&M, like you just cannot ignore what they are uh, doing. Yeah, can I get that a is... dig in though? Uh, did you see the, the renderings of their facility? No, I have not. I'll, I'll Google it as we speak. Pull, pull it up and I'll, I'll vamp on it. it. It's absurd. It is, of course, it is just like money. Basically, I just imagine money falling from the ceilings. It's right. It's going to be right outside Carroll Field. It is pristine in every way. It's it's incredible. But <laughs> they did a rendering of the, the football field, of the practice field inside, and there there's no banners to be had. There's not even a banner they can manifest to, oh to, to, to put on the wall like every other program in this conference. And I just I just had a little chuckle at all that money and there's not a single banner to be had. Um I know. I mean yeah, but yeah, the difference I, is it's never been run well. Correct. It's kind I, of like the LSU discussion. I think that 10 and 2 every year, and you are beating one of Alabama, AM, and Auburn. And I mean, we'll see. And Florida. We'll see. Uh, we'll see, you know, about the Eastern opponent uh, schedule, whatever. But I think to me, I want 10 and 2 to be the expectation every year. Um, and I. <sighs> I like to think that Brian Kelly can get there. You know, I also thought that LSU's team last year would win 10 games. So uh, that plays to my fatalistically optimistic side. But, yeah, I, I, would, I would say that the standard is a little higher than what you're saying. But what you're saying, it makes sense. Wait, no, no. See, you keep misquoting me. I've, like, said loudly four <laughs> times. I'm not saying 9-3 and three is the standard. I've repeated that, like, 10 times, Chris. 9-3 is not the standard. I'm saying, like, 9-3 occasionally. But you, keep, like, but you keep on hedging back to, like, that's, that's good, though. And I think you're right no, about that. I said that. no. See, no. I said nine and three, like every now and then, is still a good year. And I think oh, people yeah. have a hard time with that. I have said repeatedly, like if after year four, 
if they're just going if they're like never winning more than nine or ten games and yeah there's gonna be a lot of frustration as there should be i'm just saying like nine and three is like a baseline it's still solid football yes uh, okay we can agree on that and i i think that's what it's gonna be um you just have uh the best coach in college football history uh playing you every single year and not to mention the rest of the best conference in football so it's hard <laughs> if this was the new Oklahoma head coach. It's still in the Big Twelve, Oklahoma, I should say, as you know they're coming over yeah. at some point. Um, I would say, yeah, I need a playoff in three years because who's who's in front of you? Like, <laughs> who's beating you? Pac twelve. Yeah. I mean, we can quibble about the Big Ten in Ohio State, but um, yeah, I think it's just hard with with the circumstances, but. I'm expecting ten wins. Well, at that least was, in the yeah. First wait, so years. we never actually answered the question. Then neither of us have. I don't think. Love it. So, what is your personal deadline for making a playoff? Playoff, five years. Yeah, yeah. I think I was thinking the exact same. Like I, as long as those first four years, you are clearly right there. Yeah. And like, I mean, <laughs> like if, if in year four you're not right there, then yeah, maybe it's a tight. I need leash. to be right there in five years, and I, I need to be like. Some drama going into playoff, if, if, if it's not clear-cut. Some drama going into Well, I think it's fair to selection. even say playoff. I think it's fair to say if you haven't made a playoff in five years, you can really get on him. I think as long as you are, if you're not close within four, then anger. If you're close within four, you're patient, but you need to make it in year five. I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I need I need at least a, a top six playoff finish um, at, at some playoff ranking finish at some point. In the next five years, probably hopefully four. Um, so you're okay if they don't make a playoff in five years? Like I said, like it's just it's hard. Like, yeah, I don't know. You, you can go eleven and one. I, I would like to think an eleven and one LSU team that does not make the SEC title game uh, makes it into the playoff. But you never know. Like most years, yeah. Like most years for sure. Let's say let's say a the SEC playoff game, SEC championship game champ. Um, makes it to the playoff, and then you're sitting there with the other division team that is probably ten and two or eleven and one, and it's just a to- it's a toss up at that point, and it's up to a group of ten old dudes who uh, come in with their own set of biases, and it's just like so. I need to be there. I need to be in intense conversation for a playoff, if not a clear cut playoff choice. And the cynic in me thinks that if we're there. If eleven LSU eleven and one LSU is there, they're gonna pick us for uh, all of the fun fanfare that comes with LSU being good. So that's my realistic expectation. I'm not. I, I don't want to yeah. say like if if he doesn't make it, he's a total failure. Now, if we're not even close, if it's like oh, and an eighth, you know, coming in eighth, and some might thought it might be a dark horse to get there, LSU. That within five years, that's a failure to me. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I might, yeah, I think for once I might even be stricter because I'm trying to work on being like harder. Uh, <laughs> like, I think it's, I might even say if he has to make a playoff by year five, like, yeah, then he is not a failure. God, no, that is not how that works. But like, then it's like, wow, you got to really have conversations. I think I'm ready to go there. I think but he has, a, he has, but he has my a point lot is, of, he has a lot of yeah. runway. He does. And also, like, Definitely not a failure because let's say that's the scenario, like hypothetical. We're talking over ass here, but let's say year five, he goes ten and two, you finish eighth, and it's clearly a disappointment. 
you still I still don't view that as a failure because my guess is in that hypothetical scenario, and even if you fire him, like hypothetically, he still that means he probably got this program rolling again, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, well, so is that anyway, okay. we're way in the weeds, but let's yeah, let's parse that one step further. He though. got this thing well run again, and then whoever in, takes it next should win titles. In five years, and they go ten and two and, and they get close-ish, but not really. That's the peak in the next five years. Say it one more time. Like you're saying that if in five years they are at ten and two and they're like number eight, and that's the best yeah. they've done in the Brian Kelly tenure, is what you're saying? Then yeah, it probably didn't work out, and you probably that's, look that's, into that's whether not to... that's not great. That's not yeah, great. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fun. I can't wait for us to. Uh, I think we're preempting the news cycle here. That's thank you for the question, Daniel, because this is going to be all over local radio for the rest of the off season and into the season. Uh, for the next three years, two, three, can't, can't wait yeah, for the some, fever yeah. pitch. Oh, love it. Um, let's talk about the draft, Brody. Uh, you know, it's interesting. A shocking draft. Uh, yes. And I think a sad indictment of the last two years. Yep. It's a good uh, way to put a it. A huge indictment. I mean, if, if you guys didn't see Georgia had 15 players drafted, which was the most ever, which they deserved. They incredible team. LSU was the, had the, had the second most draftees of any school for a team that went six and seven. I mean, I get it. Derek Stingley, the number three overall pick, did not play for most of the season. We can, as you say, yada yada. The rest of those details. It just speaks to the amount of talent that was in the building and on the roster. And for one reason or another, they were, were not playing, and they, or and they were like, or they weren't playing well. And so, it, yeah. That's that. That what leads. That's what leads me to say, like Brian Kelly is rebuilding the house, but he's got a lot of great tools around. They, somebody's paid for some primo building material that he doesn't have to go out and buy. But at the same time, like you got to build it right. Let's let's make that foundation good because we've seen literally we've just seen in the last two years what can happen when the foundation and the way that things are organized is poor and. It honestly bummed me out. I was like, I mean, it, it made me happy for all those guys. I'm, I'm glad all those guys got drafted and they got the recognition that they deserved and they're going to be great. But I was like, damn, they, they were really this, this talented and they went six and seven and six and six the year before. Yeah. So just. Yeah, I think it literally highlights the problem. And it's like, mm-hmm. first off, I guess 10 players, that part isn't like inherently shocking because, yeah, like LSU's, you know, average players you know like you know your Austin Deculuses your Chase and Hines they're still like top 250 players in a class right so like those guys going seventh and sixth round isn't the crazy part what would what blew me away was seeing Ed Ingram go mid-second round and seeing Cordell Flock go early third round and seeing Ty Davis Price go third round and Neil Farrell go fourth round which actually yeah that's about right but still and even like the injured like probably out for the year, Damone Clark going fifth. Mm-hmm. That's what surprised me because that like those guys going two rounds higher than most expected tells you actually a lot because like, how do I put this? Like what we've been reading their projection is for all this time has more to do with like media analysis, all that stuff. But we're seeing like when these teams actually see their athletic traits and actually like study stuff closely and all that, they think their talent is so much better than what the media thought it was because we we're only going off their tape. Does that make any sense? So totally. it's like, and Ed Ingram's a guy who, by the way, 
hasn't been particularly good for two years, which is crazy because he was supposed to be the best of all of them. He was fine. Like, I'm not insulting at Ingram. He had His talent is absurd. And he had some great moments. But he was never more than, like, a pretty solid SEC lineman. And to have him be a second-round pick tells you, like, oh, man, they think he can be a star. Like, right. second-round pick, and it's offensive line, that means you should be a starter. Oh, and Cordell Flott, who I actually love Cordell Flott, and his, I'm sure he tests is incredible because his quickness and all of that. But again, nobody thought of him going that high, and now he does. I just think that really tells you a lot. But to build on that, having that many good top-level guys is the problem. Not that, that you don't want that to change. God, no. But it, it like when I – because there's another question in the mailbag about the expectations, and I talk a lot about top-level versus like infrastructure. And yeah, last year's team had a ton of top-level talent. So did 2020. They had studs. They had first-round picks. But it's about like how bad the middle-to-bottom guy where you don't have a second right guard to plug in or you don't have a single corner left and all that stuff. Like That's where the problem is. And that's the part Brian Kelly, I think, is going to put the most emphasis in fixing. Because guess what? This year's team, and we're, we can get into this in a second, has the top-level talent, more top-level than last year, has the talent to beat any team on the right night. That is the way people need to frame this. It's like on the right night, LSU's first team is as good as all but I don't know like five teams right like Mm -hmm. they're good it's just like you're gonna see them also lose two to three that you'd be like darn that team's not very good and that's what depth comes in in college football I think that's like the hard part to explain sometimes I agree uh I'm sorry we're supposed to actually talk about like the draft no 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 it's fine I no I I think that's the more pertinent issue though and and I think that that plays into both the disappointment of the last two years and the reason for optimism going forward um yeah I would like to highlight Ty Davis Price going to San Francisco, uh, a running back stream where I just really know is. that he's going to have a great couple years. I hope he does. He's going to get a fat contract somewhere else. And then <laughs> I, 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 I hope he has success, but it's running backs just look beautiful in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And I'm excited for Ty Davis Price, a guy, another one of those unsung LSU dudes who really gutted it out throughout this bad era of, of LSU football and really gave their all. I mean, I'll never forget his uh, Florida day. Uh, I mean, what a memory that is. Uh, he set the, yeah. the rushing record for a single game, um, running just counter the whole time. But who cares? I mean, yep. that's that's some Kyle, Han- Kyle Shanahan shit right there. Just schemed it it's up and, and, and ran it. So um, I, I think he could be a really good NFL back. I mean, he's not the fastest guy. We all know that, but he's he's a bruiser. But it's like he also has a burst too, you know? Like he does. He's not like forty yard sprint fast, mm-hmm. but he's like can hit a burst and actually give you twenty. You know, that, is that fair? Like, I, I mean, know. he had a couple of those runs against Florida where he hit the hole really hard, and all of a sudden, like he's not outpacing people, but nobody's catching him before the end zone. And yeah, exactly. So, I, and he's he, he's he's a big body. He's, he's a strong dude. So, I'm. That's the one I'm looking for. I mean, I, I, I also want Damone Clark to do great. I want all these guys to do great, but that's the one I was like, ooh, we could have, like, there could be like a, this guy was yeah. on a bad LSU team. It's like, yeah, we don't have to talk about it anymore than that, but he's just yeah, really good, and we're happens. proud of him. And like, um, and he's such a weird one because I think I spent about a year and a half being like, he's just very average. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's inherently changed in my mind. Like, I'm not sure where I stand, but... I do think that Florida game and a few others do show you like the scheme stuff was so bad at times. They genuinely right. talked every episode about like 
Jake Peets is not a bad coach, but he had not quite learned how to set up the run. And the Florida game, if I recall, and I don't think it's this simple, but the whole thing was like Marucci brought in, like showing what this O-line blocks well, and they did it once and like ran for 300 yards. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. And also, I think if there's one thing I've learned about the NFL, like with running backs specifically, it's like you might not need to be an actually elite running back but if you have one or two things you do really well and you're with a smart coach, they will make you really good. Not because like, not like to your point, like the whole, like you're just going to thrive in San Francisco and then get a big deal, second contract and probably fade out. It's like, if you're in the right coach who knows how to just dominate with your one strength, mm-hmm. you can have a nice run in the NFL. And I think Ty Davis price might fit into that category. Even if I don't know if like, I think of him as some, you know, long time NFL running back. So, so many, um, so many good college players, shine no matter what their situation is and in the nfl that's just not the case where a really talented yeah. player can go to a bad situation and fail and we view that player as a failure or a bust when it's more about the situation and the coaching and the scheme it's so contextual and, yeah. and and especially with running backs that are really it's a really grind them up and spit them out position in the nfl these days where running backs are not super valuable so for Ty Davis Price to be a playing this position that churns out probably the fastest in the NFL besides, you know, special team guys and backups and him going to a really good situation where he's going to have a lot of holes to run through. He's probably not going to get beat up too much. Um, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful for him. I think that's the most interesting draft pick I saw besides Stingley, of course. But, you know, Stingley's Stingley, going to be course, a foundational yeah. piece for a rebuilding team. Um, I'm not expecting to see like him win the rookie of the year uh but i i think that he's going to be an interesting piece going forward for a team that might be on the rise might not be but sneaky fantasy pickup if you're into that sort of thing yeah well on, on oh, the wait, other wait, side stingley or davis price my bad sorry. stingley sorry yeah. uh on the other side cornerback is one of the more valuable positions to be elite at in the nfl for a long time so i'm not really uh i think stingley's gonna have a very long and prosperous career uh so, so too I'm excited. And by for the him. way, I think the flot pick is one of those where it's like, I don't know. I have this problem sometimes in the NFL draft where it's like when it's a team I trust and I trust the new Giants management. I don't trust the last five years but or ten years, but I trust the new regime from like, a lot of guys coming over from Buffalo and all that. And it's right. like, you know, it's like you're 50-50 on a guy and depending on who picks them, you're more or less sure. <laughs> like mm-hmm. and it's like, all right, Cordell going third to the new, like the build, like, you know, to the new stable t- regime. And I'm like, okay, so he's a good prospect. You know, like yeah, it reframes right. your thinking on it. So, yeah, because Flat is so quick. He was probably asked to do more than he was supposed to do in college because they were so weak at times in the secondary and like he is so quick that he actually might thrive more in the NFL. So I'm like fly might be a home run nickel. And the other for me is just Neil Farrell. I'm like, I am the biggest Neil Farrell guy and the rate granted it's a new regime now, but like Raiders have done such a good job of just like developing those mid round defensive linemen every year. I feel like, and I don't know. I just feel like that's like a situation where he can thrive kind of being like, you know, he's going to rotate in this year and slowly become like a dude for them. I think Neil Farrell is the one. If I had to put money, and I'm going to ask you to do the same, of the second through seventh round picks in this class, and I'm sure you're going to say Damone, which I'm not going to argue, but I feel like if you're saying who's the one who like in five years might still be like a relevant NFL player, mine's Neil Farrell, no doubt. What's what's your What's your bar for relevant? Because – yeah, I don't know. I'm making it up as I go, but well, well, you know, just like a guy who like you even know who they are. You're five, you know, just like I think Demone. I think Demone has the highest upside. 
um, of that sure. crew. Um, I think Cordell is like Cordell was always the guy at LSU who it always felt like, oh, he's this promising young guy, and now he has to do all of this stuff. Yeah. Like it, it always seemed like he was asked to do more than he should have been, and he did pretty well considering. But again, it was just a bad situation for everybody. I think he's going to do well. I mean, of course, I'm going to pick Damone. Like he's going to be this like uber talented linebacker. He's got all the traits. He just needs to be healthy. Uh, but but like Neil Farrell is going to be that one of those rotational defensive linemen who's going to get these pretty good contracts that the average fan might not know unless he plays for your team or you're an LSU person. But all of a sudden, you know, in five years, uh, somebody's going to sign Neil Farrell to a five-year, $45 million deal, and that fan base is going to be like, who? <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to be like, actually, he's pretty damn good. And he played yeah. for this really good team. Some and like, Danielle Hunter potential there. Yeah. not That's not the perfect comp, but like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah he, I, I, uh, think, I think he's going to be valuable. I, I think you're right. I hope I all hope right. they all prosper. Let's, um, let's talk. Let's touch a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but yeah, let's I, discuss the 2023. Right. Um, so we had this morning, Dane Brugler, uh, the Athletics draft impresario, published his first round mock for 2023, which is always my favorite. It's just like the early 20 top 25 for next year. These these early mocks are hilarious, and and they they generate a lot of discussion for a good reason. And I know Dane is a great evaluator, but my favorite bit is that he has to pick the teams that are in the slots. <laughs> I know. Credit to him that he goes out of his way to not even mention the team in the description or like whether that person fits. Because he's like, guys, this is just a big board and I have to put... It's just I have to put a team here. It doesn't matter. Like there, if It's you just read the, the 32 guys to watch. That's all it is. <laughs> if you go read the story, there is nothing about fit with any team or anything like that. Um but I did want to highlight, you know, that there's a couple QBs up there. CJ Stroud from Ohio State, Bryce Young goes number two. Um, we have some LSU guys in the mix. We have three. Yeah. Hold on, let me get there. Um, of course, uh, he has number 12, Eli Ricks, new Alabama corner on the board. Uh, I don't think any of us are surprised by that. Uh, but no. number 14, Keishon Booty, wide receiver LSU. Nothing surprising about that, that either. I think we all know. I I don't even want to talk about Keishon that much because we all know he was the best wide receiver in college football last year until he got hurt. Uh, I hope he's healthy. I hope he's ready to play this year. I'm sure he will be. Um, nothing about this would surprise me. At 15, he has BJ Ojolari, edge rusher. I'm not surprised yeah. by that either. I, I think maybe I some people outside of this fan base might be surprised by that uh, just because maybe BJ was ripping it up on a bad team. But talk about and terrifying then, off the edge. Well, I think both those guys fit in the exact same category of, I think like receiver, like, you know, Jackson Smith uh, and Jigba, I, I'm, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I, could, I really want to <laughs> learn how to pronounce that quickly because uh, I'm going to be saying it a lot, I feel like. But yeah, I feel like he's probably going to be number like wide receiver one. Like he just seems like he's that dude this year. But aside from that, if Butte is healthy and like looks like last year, he's top 10. Like, yeah, he's a star. It's right. just we're just kind of waiting to see like what happens there, the weird offseason, all that. And I think Ojolari is the same. He is a uber athletic edge rusher who, again, to your point, is just kind of in this weird like on bad defenses for two years and like a lot of stuff still just getting figured out. So like I just don't know. But, but I'm sorry. My point is if Ojolari is what he could be in this three four scheme and all that, 
he can be top 10. So, yeah, yeah I just think uh, I think both those guys are top 10 talents. You're just waiting to see if they put it together. Well, Ojolari is the guy that I think about when Durante Jones was basically like, I'm going to blitz the entire time. It was like, yeah, send Ojolari after the quarterback every time. He's going to get there a lot. So he's got a lot of talent. The most fascinating one picked to me, though, was at 28 on his list, was a big bet on Jaqueline Roy. Um, and Dane mentions in here, quote, Roy has yet to be a full-time starter for the Tigers, but he routinely flashed on the field last season. We can all agree on that. I don't think that I think about that defensive line group, and I know that Mason Smith is the headliner, and he's a sophomore, so we can't go to the draft. But still, it is interesting to see an NFL draft evaluator be like, this rotational guy for LSU has the traits to be a first-round draft pick next year. I was mildly surprised by that in in a nice way. That's fair. Yeah, I saw another, not as reputable, but I, cause I was just kind of looking, I think, like during the draft, like, oh, yeah, like where do people place this LSU team for next year? And I, I saw another list have Roy top 10. Obviously, top not as 10 and all that, but Roy is one of those talents. I think the hard thing for him has been figuring out like fit and where he lives. And again, probably a casualty of these messy defenses the last two years and not really having someone who knows how to run it. But yeah, like it's going to be tough for him. To real because it's like he's. I feel like I've always gotten the sense Roy's destiny is to be, which technically he was lately, but that like three technique D tackle, like a Neil Farrell, right? Mm-hmm. Who's so athletic, but also strong enough, can be this like interior rusher, all that stuff. Uh, and it's right as of now, I mean, obviously Mason Smith starting at the one DN spot and then Ollie Gay the other, but even if it's not gay, like that's not Royce. Roy isn't going to be the Ollie Gay role in the other DN spot because that needs to be someone more athletic, like a Savion Jones probably. So it's like he's not going to be that. So it's And right now he's taking first-team nose tackle reps, and I think him and Jacoby and Guillory are both going to like really split a lot of time there. They're both good enough to start anywhere. So I'm saying to say it's going to be really interesting if he can like build draft stock as a nose. One – We've talked about this a few episodes ago. I just never saw him as a nose. He's just not that huge. Mm-hmm. If he's good enough to get first team, that's a really good sign. And I trust Matt House and that D-line more than I trust my opinion. So, like, that's big. And if he plays well at nose, maybe that actually boosts his stock. It's showing, like, more stuff he can do. And, like, shoot, I'm sure he'll give, like, a really good interior rush there. But I'm also just like, you don't make highlights from the nose either. So, I'm just really intrigued by that. Because, yeah, he's that wild card one in that of those three to me. Because I'm like, I have no idea what his stock really will be. But, man, he's a first-round talent when he's on his game. I, I do think, you know, as us on the content side and in the media world, we, we see these lists and we're like, oh, this is really fun. And it's a good conversation starter. It's just but, fun. Yeah. But at the same time, I think this might have some real world influence because, A, this means, I mean, I don't think Dane is just throwing darts at a board. I think he probably has some, A, his own evaluation skills, which are uh, unquestioned at this point, but also some intel from some front office people who are giving him hints on who to look at and what to, what to look for. And so I I would hope that Jaqueline, not that he needs more motivation, but like you think Jaqueline Roy sees this draft and is like, oh, these guys think I'm a first round draft pick. Like, let's let's go. Like, let me let me show them on tape. I mean, you have to show it on tape, but it's a no. I mean, the, the, the great example of that is uh, Greedy Williams about four years ago, where it was like. He had this kind of sneaky, impressive redshirt freshman year where I was like, oh, crap, that guy got like six picks. And all of a sudden, like two weeks after the season, Mel Kuyper puts him as, I don't know, like 
the number like four player in the class. Remember going yeah. into eight, yep. 18 and mm-hmm. it was just like, Oh shoot. And that literally, I, I remember, uh, I believe Andrew Lopez wrote that story. It was just like when he saw himself there, that changed everything for him. And it just like kind of backfired, I think in some way. Cause then he suddenly treated himself like this, like all American. So I guess like, that's not me disagreeing with you. It's just being like, no, oh, I'm just saying, it, I guess th- these I'm not, have, I'm not these, dis- disagreeing with you. These can have a real world impact both ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just really interesting. It's a good marker. Um, so now I'm curious, who else on the team this year do you think, not even necessarily first round, but like, are you keeping an eye on that could be a really early pick? Ooh. Um, not that, really early, but because I think the quick one is if Emery clicks. If Emery is a Emory's quick pick. one, for sure. Yeah, like, um, shoot, you never know a first round. It's never. I never want to assume a running back goes first round. But yeah, if Emery clicks, he's there. What about Ali Another Gay? one. Yep. Oligay is just so tricky. I feel like he – I hate predicting this because Oligay is a really good dude and also has been productive. But, like, I feel like Oligay has now reverted to this thing of he – his first year here, it was like the six-foot-six six guys deflecting passes constantly and all you're seeing is this insane upside. Mm-hmm. Now we're in year three. I don't think he had like an inherently great spring. Not bad. You know what I mean? Just like I think Savion Jones is genuinely like playing just as well as him in that other end spot. And you're just like that thing of like when upside just doesn't happen necessarily. And you're like, oh, he's pretty good. I don't know if he's a first round pick. So I'm just speculating. We'll see. That's a good one. He's got the body for it. He's a big athletic dude that pops on tape. So we'll see. That's Um, a good one. Jay Ward. Jay Ward. Not first round, but like Jay Ward's balling. He's so fun. He could go high. Um, I'm, I'm literally scrolling oh, through the roster well, right now. The obvious one is if he plays well this year, Jared Bernard Converse. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was all Big Twelve, so like you would think he's up there. Yeah, same I with wanted, Seven Banks. I wanted to say it was like a lot of these transfers I don't have a good feel for because I haven't seen them play in front of me for my favorite team. So uh, any of those defensive backs, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, Bernard Converse seems like the most likely, but both Arkansas guys uh, are eligible yep. clearly. Um, I mean the the other one. Do you think a quarterback might play well, like Miles Brennan? I don't Ooh. think he'd be a first rounder, but like. But no, I mean you're right. It's like that weird thing of if it clicks, that means mm-hmm. the starting quarterback at LSU is clicking. Like you're immediately, like you know how it goes. If you're like a main power program quarterback and you're playing well, you are immediately a first two round, at least conversation. So yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, like, I would I, if I, Miles Brennan plays well. Yeah. He is a six foot four guy with a huge arm and experience. Like it's like, yeah, like that's a second round pick or something. If if he does click, and or, or if Jaden Daniels clicks, geez, I mean that athleticism, it's obvious. So yeah, yeah, you're not wrong at all. I could see those. Um, yeah, it's like it's like this weird debate to have because it's like, yeah, if anyone clicks, their first round, <laughs> but still, because everybody's talented. Yep. Um. Let's All right, move, should we head to our, our let's next move on. thing? Let's, let's go through the schedule. Um, we can talk about fear and anything. It, you know, it's interesting. I, was, I always do this. I always convince myself in the offseason that LSU is going to be sneaky awesome, even if people aren't expecting it and they're going to like threaten for a playoff. Because A, that's the standard that I hope we have, and B, uh, I am an LSU fan, and I want them to be that way. But looking at the schedule made me even more delusional about how good they can be because I think outside of Alabama, we're kind of catching everybody at the right time and in the right spot. 
Let's go through it. Okay. So we start on a Sunday. I want everybody to think about that because I have had multiple friends and people in the past on these opening weekend games. I think that the Miami game in Dallas was on a Sunday because it's Labor Day weekend. Right? Am I remembering that correctly? Um, yeah. Wait, say that again. The Miami game, yes, that was a Sunday. It was a Sunday. So it's it's this sneaky, yeah. like, people think the game is Saturday, and then it's like you get to the weekend, and it's like, oh, no. But it's at home here in the Superdome. I'm excited about that, that I get to just drive across town and go tailgate. Um, Florida State, coming off a weird time, I, I don't think they scare me too much. Now, I will say that so, they are a power yeah. – they are a decent team that – will give a lot of data to where LSU is as a team in its first game. It, this is not a patsy. This is not, you know, a directional school in faraway state that gets paid a lot of money to play in Tiger Stadium. This is a, a good program um, in a big non-conference game. So, you know, I think, I think LSU wins it- that game. Uh, but, like, if they struggle, I, I'll probably be a little worried. And if they look great, I'm going to think that we're ruling the world. <laughs> yeah, it's like so Florida State's been in free fall for years. We all know that. They went five and seven last year. I think they were fifty-third in SP plus. And it seemed like they were starting to figure some stuff out at times as the year went on. Like they're not good, but you know, like like you could see the pieces coming together. And the only thing to watch, and again, I think LSU should win this game. And again, to your point, if they don't win it, it's telling us more about LSU than it probably is Florida State. Mm-hmm. But they are – I love Bill Connolly's returning production metric yeah. for a team. And granted, now in the portal era, it's maybe you take it with more of a grain of salt because everything's changing constantly. But Florida State is 11th in the country in returning production. And I was yelling – like, this stuff has a, is a big indicator quite often. Again, LSU was top 10 the year it won a title, like, in this, in this metric. They're bringing back 82% of its production. And this is a complicated metric that, like, isn't just, like, raw stats. It's, like – it puts weight on which things have a bigger history of being an indicator of success. It's really smart. And they have the number they're number two in the country in returning production on defense. So I still think like they're in flux. LSU, if they're on, should win this game by like seven or ten points. I'm not arguing that. Like mm-hmm. they should be a three or four point favorite in this game. But there's just scenarios where Florida State is maybe better than we realize because they're returning so much. You're three or four with a new coach. And it's like, hey, maybe they click and they could win. So it's like you do have to be scared. I think UC- oh, yeah. I think UCLA last year is actually a really good comp for this. They are. Where it's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. UCLA was not good the year before, but they returned a ton. Year three with a coach, and you're like, oh, they might click more than you think. So there's a little fear there. Not a ton, but it's worth being a little scared of. I agree. Well, so let's let's make a little metric. So Let's say yeah. on the uh, Chris Branch terrified level, the CBT scale, this is this is a five and a half. It's about right because yeah. because I'm saying that because I just don't know. Like I need yeah, you can't go higher than that. Yeah, I need data on this version of LSU before I start like actually having informed terror. Another good metric for us: informed terror. That we will <laughs> inform terror is very good. I love that. <laughs> Don't know what it means yet, but we can find a way to use it. Um, we, um, we can use it mid-season when I'm freaking out about some game. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about it a bit. Uh, our next game is Southern. Uh, the home opener, Southern. I will just say I love that this game is happening. I would rather you su- better be at that game. I would rather Southern Southern uh, 
be playing LSU in this kind of game than uh, like, you know, directional school from Minnesota or Montana or whatever, just because it's, it's a community thing. And, you know, LSU and Southern haven't oh, really played it. a lot at all. Um, so I think it'll be a really cool weekend. I hope a lot of people show up. Um, it's going to be cool. I, I don't think we have to talk about this game on the field. I think this is a, no. a, a tune-up game, but um, that's that. Let's move on. Uh, Mississippi State at home. I'm going to rank it a solid three. I am not worried about Mike Ooh, Lee. You have that lower than Florida State. Yes. Because, A, okay. LSU is going to have two weeks at that point. LSU is going to figure out if the quarterback is working. LSU is going to figure out if the defense is working, adjustments to make. Like I said, I have a lot of faith right now in the coaching staff that it, they're just good coaches. There's no – these hires are not iffy like the um, – you know, we talked about this at length, but in the last two years of the Coach O era, A, we didn't make two hires of old retreads who clearly were out of touch, or B, these young up-and-comers who really didn't have the bona fide experience and were really early in their coordinating careers. Both these guys have been coordinators. Both these guys are good at their jobs. So I'm not worried about this. I think this is going to be a pretty solid win. I'm also not worried about a competent defensive coordinator playing Mike Leach. Let's just put it at that. Uh, this well, Bo, okay. Bo Pelini is I not here. I think they need to be. Wait, but I think they need to be a five and a half. I think they need to be no less than Florida State fear. Um, I think you're underestimating how good that Mississippi State defense has, for the most part, been the last two years with Zach Garnett leading it and like. They are 21st in returning production this year. They bring back most of that defense. And it's like, I'm not saying you should be scared. I just think it should be around a five and a half like, like Florida State where it's like, they're tough, man. Like they're going to, they, they're not going to be easy to beat. I, I think I, I am, I know what I'm getting more in the difficulty of them than I even do Florida State. So I give them at least a five and a half. Mm. I'm, I'm sticking with three. This might be irrational, but I'm going with it. Next on the schedule, LSU at New Mexico at home. A nice little three-grain stretch of home games. Um, I don't, don't know. Much. I don't know much about New Mexico. Um, I'm not even going to register them on the scale because if LSU struggles in no. this game, then uh, there's more freaking out to do. Uh, I, I think it will be a good scale of does a Brian Kelly LSU team play down to its opponent? Something that that talented LSU teams have struggled with in the past. Is this game 24-17 in the third, or is it 41-7? You know? Yeah. I think it'll finish yeah, multiple scores either way. And then we enter the hard stretch. Saturday, October 1st, LSU at Auburn. I'm putting this at a six. Uh, That's so funny. And I put this lower than Mississippi State and Florida State. I put this at five. This is the thing. Shit show Auburn I is, know it's Auburn. I know. Shit show Auburn is the most unpredictable thing on this planet. That's fair. And it's at Auburn. Tough place to win. Fun place to go to a game. Yeah. Um, I just I have no idea what to expect out of Auburn this year. Brian Harson could be fired by this point. Who knows? I mean it's true. I don't know if I don't know if anybody if our listeners really kept up with the uh absolute clown show that was Auburn yeah. trying to fire Brian Harson really hard and them not succeeding. So Auburn is entering the season with an administration that does not want Brian Harson to be its coach. Brian Harson somehow survived a coup attempt from a place that has always been a, an organizational disaster inside, apparently. Um, 
A. Yeah, I just think this could be uh, th- this could be uh, its immediate no go from the jump. Or B. What I'm worried about is that this team rallies around Brian Harson, and there were there were issues before with a lot of players transferred out of the program this year because they didn't like how Harson was coaching them. A lot of talented guys, um, but the guys that are there might rally around. I, you know, you, you never know, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, yeah, you're right. Auburn is, like, the craziest game, so maybe you're right. I should have it higher. But, like, I'm just trying to separate, like, so, maybe, yeah, you're right. I, I think, You know what? I'm going to stick at that 5.5. I'm going to hang in that same zone I've had the others. But I just think, like, I'm less scared of Auburn than I am Mississippi State or Florida State, or Florida State just because, like, yeah, they, like, you know, they actually, like, they were this weird team last year that wasn't bad but was just a mess. And... There's no area, at least the other teams, I know like areas I need to be scared of. There's nothing about this Auburn team that I like know I know I should be scared of or that I'm worried about. And I think that's just like they just seem like a team that's kind of average across the board. They're in flux. The Harson situation's a disaster. I am not part- the only reason I have them a five point five is because you're right, chaos Auburn and you just have to keep that in. But just using my brain, I think that I feel more confident unless you win that by far than Mississippi State. I just I, I can't bring myself. I think there. you were just yada yaying Mississippi State, whichever. I am yada yaying Mississippi years. State. I don't think but Mississippi like, State's going to score good. more than fourteen points against LSU this year. I just don't get where you're getting that from. I'm getting that from Mike Leach's history, where the man runs four plays, and he looks great against really bad defensive coordinators. Cough, cough, Bo Pelini. But any competent defensive coordinator is going to put him in his place, and. I mean, this LSU team convincingly beat Mississippi State. They threw for 5,000 yards last year. It's not like they didn't score last year. I know. I'm just saying good teams are going to beat Mike Leach teams every time. That's that's my flag. I'm planting in the ground. It's a home game. It's, it's also This is a big difference here. LSU's on the road. This is the first big road test for LSU against Auburn. This is going to be the first big home game for LSU against Mississippi State. I think they feed off the energy. I think the fans are going to be really into it. And... That's where I'm at. I mean, here's the other thing that people forget about the Brian Harson th- stuff. I know they wanted to fire him, and they had probably good reason to. But this is a team that had Alabama beat, <laughs> had the eventual national runner-up beat outside, and they, they allowed an insane final drive. But in their last regular season game, they were about to knock Alabama yeah. out of the playoff, which is insane to me. So... All right, we need to keep moving. Yes, let's keep moving. Uh, next game. Tennessee is one of the hardest ones. Because, I, have, dude, I have no idea. I have no idea. You know what's crazy? They're number 10 in preseason. That's number 9 in SP+. Plus I know. I know. They, I know. Like, not perfect, but like it's just it's good for telling you who you're not watching that you should be. That's the main reason I like it. And it's like, man, like they bring back good amount. That offense looks scary this, as that year went on. And it's like, man, that's a sneaky. The smart, the smart people like Tennessee to be pretty good. And yes. that scares me. So I'm going to put that at a seven because I think that our historical perception of Tennessee, at least in modern times, is going yeah. to be really skewed with Tennessee on the field this year with a good coach who seemingly has the program in the right direction against an LSU team who could be coming off a huge road win and might be flying high or could be foundering after a weird road loss at to Auburn Jesus. Yep. So – and the the unknown scares me. Like that podcast we do that week, I will have the informed terror because Tennessee might be ripping people up by that point, or might be struggling and looking like the Tennessee that we know and love. Um, 
but yeah, yeah I think seven's a great number because fear is the right word, right? We're not even sitting here saying like we know Florida Tennessee's gonna be good, but just the general like uh, abstract fear. Yeah, seven. I think seven's about right because you just like they could go up and put up forty nine. They could. I mean, it, it could be this like shell shock game for LSU and for the country with Tennessee being a legitimately good team. So seven's my number there. Next week, LSU goes to Florida, which I'm sure there won't be any stories written about head coaching hires <laughs> and choices. Those, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't Five. know. I'm, I'm bullish. I, I, I think the last two years of LSU beating Florida probably has me in a weird spot here. Um, well, okay. Wait, can I go before you go? Yes, absolutely. This is because I'm actually like, as you know, one of the biggest Billy Napier is kind of like win a national title guys. Like I think he's brilliant. He's got things rolling, but this year I think Florida's going to be a mess. Um, from so talking too. to people like around Florida, like I had one person say like, yeah, it's just a bunch of average, like above average guys. There's no like, like LSU is top end talent, but no infrastructure. I think Florida has no like top end guys. I think Mullen left that program in a mess the way he just flat out wasn't recruiting mm-hmm. and Napier's going to get it rolling. But and then, yeah, in Gainesville, that's going to be tough. So five, I think it, you can't go lower than five. It's Florida. It's a rival. But I think Florida is going to be a mess this year. And I just think it's no, no higher than a five. I agree. I was, I was going to say something similar because I also think that Billy Napier has done a very good job of communicating expectations and how they should not be great this year. Yeah. Um, and I think Ed Ogeron left some better building materials than Dan Mullen did. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to put this at a four and a half. And I yeah. think we're going to get a lot of uh, misconceptions coming out of this game about who's the better head coach, um, to be honest. I, oh, God, I, yeah. I don't think that uh, – and this I is the, this is the fan not in to me. Make anything. It's not going to happen, but beg you not to make anything of that game. Yes. I mean, yeah, we're going to make something of that game, of course. But it's just, this is the industry we're in. But I, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a fun time for LSU. I think I'm going to really relish it again that there might be a two-score win in the swamp, which doesn't really happen. But I don't know. Maybe Billy Napier is a superb motivator and all these storylines get them going and it's a, it's a raucous home environment and it's a close game. I'm not as worried so right now. So the next one is the... Yes. The next one's the actual toughest yes. to predict. Correct. Like, we are lying if we pretend we know. Because Ole Miss, mm-hmm. which is in Tiger Stadium, that helps, is... I'd say probably less than LSU in terms of numbers, but more than LSU in terms of like the scale are the ne- probably the number one like portal team, you know, right? The, yes. This is what they call Lane the Portal King or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of getting Zach Evans and Jackson Dart and JJ Peaks and, and Michael Trigg, Jared Ivey, like just so many. Malik Heath from Mississippi State's really good. He, he had a good game against LSU, if I recall. They brought in dudes. So it's like they don't bring back a lot of talent. They are this weird team. You just have no. They lost a lot of staffers, also, which do not ignore that. That's a big deal. Yeah. Like they also have so much incoming talent, and it goes back to the thing we spent months on: is like LSU brought in 15 transfers, but you can't assume a transfer is exactly as good as they were at the last place. So like, right. Ole Miss could be a top 15 team this year, and I'd be like, yep. Or they could go six and six, and I'd be like, yeah, transfers are hard. So I'm, I'm putting it at a seven I guess and a half. Six is the answer. I'm yeah, putting mine fair. at a seven and a half. I'm. You they put it higher the more, than Tennessee, okay? Yes, yes, because I'm more scared of Lane Kiffin. Yeah, I don't. I don't that's it's that's interesting. I was thinking. Bad. I was thinking back. This had me thinking back to last year's game, and 
for about 30 minutes for that game in Oxford, LSU looked like they were going to beat Ole Miss by 14 points. It was so weird. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, just as had the whole year, everything fell apart. Lane adjusted better in game than our coaches, blah, 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 blah. There was a reason I wanted Lane Kiffin as LSU coach, and obviously it didn't happen, and it probably never would have happened if you read anything after the fact. Um, but yeah. he is an offensive genius. He is an innovator in the game. He has a really good program rolling. I think it all depends on their quarterback. I mean, Matt Corral was the key to them being good, and he was the key to them being not yeah. great the year before. Um, we'll see how Jackson Dart does. I have read about this uh, this young kid who has arguably looked better than Dart uh, there in spring. Al- Altmaier? Yeah. So, Which is I, surprising because I don't think they thought much of him a year ago. Well, yeah. it, um, I mean, this kind of speaks to the genius of Lane Kiffin that he is developing the players. The genius. There, so. Yeah, right? You like that? Um, anyway, uh-huh. that scares me. I don't think this Ole Miss team is going to be scared coming into Tiger Stadium. I think they're probably going to be no. pretty good. Ole Miss always plays LSU tough at Tiger Stadium. It's so annoying. Um, so yeah. count me at a 7.5. All right, I'll go 6.5. I'll go 7. I will join you at 7 at least. Because, You're 7.5, I know, but I'll say 7. Because also, LSU fans look at Ole Miss as a second-tier program in the SEC West, and I think that's fair, but at the same time, they're, they're always a pain in the ass. And years like last year and this year, they probably will be a better team maybe in year one of the Brian Kelly era and as opposed to year three or year four of Lane Kiffin. So I'm scared. I, I would like this to be a comfortable win. I don't think it will be. And it's just going to be stress for me. And so they're the highest so far on my terror scale. Okay. Um I think the next one is just it's it's ten, and if you even debate otherwise, you're crazy. It's, it's uh, Alabama. I'm, yeah, I'm not even going to debate you on that because they are as good of a preseason team as I can remember. In they terms are the of Darth just, like, Vader. How that, invincible they seem. They are the Darth Vader. I know they are. They're all these other teams. Tennessee. I don't know them. They're like a fighter that I've never fought in the ring before. I've gone twelve rounds to Alabama, basically my entire adult life hated most of it have loved the wins um it's, it's not even about that it's just the team they have the, the team year. they have this year isn't i mean they have a heisman returning at quarterback they have skill player it's just their defense is going to be better than ever i i like will I, anderson's I, the best player in college football and that defense brings back a ton i wrote this in in the pulse today about the draft it's like you know we're going to talk we're going to talk about the qbs at the top but this is Will Anderson's year, and like he yep. is going to be one of the best NFL draft prospects we have seen in a long time. I mean, Dane wrote Dane wrote in the piece, and I obviously completely agree that Anderson would have been the number one pick this year in the draft if if he would have been eligible. No doubt, um, no doubt. Will Anderson could sit out the whole year and probably be a top five pick. He's not going to do yeah. that. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of NIL deals come his way, um, wherever that comes from. To make him want to play this year um yeah. yeah and the funny thing is like they were no-brainer number one before the portal even like got going mm-hmm. and then they fixed any like not even a hole but any kind of like yeah you know they could improve there they added like they uh, added they uh, added the, the best running the, back in the portal i mean the, the running just, back from, oh my God, why am i forgetting his name jameer gibbs uh thank you jameer gibbs they had jameer uh Burton, right? They added Burton from yes. Georgia. Like they just <laughs> so weird. They just added anyone they wanted. So it's like they are. 
I know SP Plus has them three, and I understand why, because it's like technically they're not re- returning as much as some others, but trust me, like their defense yes. is going to be scary. Bryce Young is – I think Bryce Young is weirdly – I had this weird thing where I was arguing all last year that I, I was mad he was winning the Heisman just because I thought one of the defensive players should have, but I also thought Bryce Young was underrated, which is why I'm exhausting, I guess. But uh, like Bryce Young is so good at little stuff, like keeping plays alive and like helping that team when that offense wasn't very good at times around him, and I think this year with a better system around him, he's going to be a stud. That, so like, that, like that's a the thing. star. He was awesome last year, but he was young enough and like – Teams like LSU kind of had him in hell. And last year was the year to get Bryce Young in a loss. And it didn't yes. work out for many people. Uh, you know, Georgia got him. Um, who beat them? A&M beat him? Yeah. A&M, A&M got A&M. him. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that was inherently Bryce. I could be wrong. I know. But there, but there were games where like... No, I'm just trying to remember. Auburn, Auburn really, really made him struggle early on. He gutted that out. It was a big growing moment for him, I'm sure. And now we're getting, you know, superhero Bryce Young that has actually been through some battles. Uh, and we're getting him this year. So, yeah, this is a 10. Um, I would even consider making a different sort of scale for this. But uh, let me think on that because it just doesn't feel like the <laughs> same right. game that we're playing with all these other teams. So we're in hour five. So we need to get rolling, actually. Um, <laughs> Arkansas is not returning much. And. Uh, I'm not worried about them. I don't know. I I just feel like they lost a lot of their X factorness. They did. So I still think they're going to be good. Like they're not going to drop off, but I put them right in that five and a half zone. Uh, I put them right in that Florida state, Mississippi state zone. I'm see, I'm putting them in the Mississippi state zone three. I'm not worried about it. Um, they don't have the superpower of playing in little rock. I don't know why they're not playing there. It's, It's a bad stadium, but they always played LSU tough there. And LSU seems to have done a little better recently at in Fayetteville. Um, not worried Where are you about it. Three from though. You think they're gonna be that bad? Where are you yeah. getting that from? I, I, yeah. Where are you getting that from? What's your info there? Like you said, they they lost a lot of their guys. I I just don't. I don't know. They're, they don't scare me. Fair the, the whole thing is the the referendum on that week is. Gonna, I always love when I think I'm being hard on someone, and then you're like, no, they're fucking trash. <laughs> yeah, I'm like what? That's it. Yeah, that's me. Um. The referendum that week, no matter what happens against Alabama, is how does LSU bounce back? Like like I mentioned before, the Miles team just cratered. Coach O's teams actually did really well after the Alabama week. The gutting physical physicality that accompanies that, you know, we'll see how they respond. LSU UAB. Yeah. Um, you can't put I don't I'm gonna preface, I don't think you can put that lower than four because they are I don't think they're gonna be like good. I know. But they are the best, like one of the best coach teams in the country. Yes. Bill Clark is a just a wizard and it's like they are just too tough they aren't they, are, they, they aren't they, a they, fun non-conference game to me that's a really fun one honestly like it's sneaky i didn't even notice oh, it know. really it's, and all it's, of a sudden it's, it's fun to you neutral observer it's not fun to me because oh i thought you said it was fun you don't think this is fun no why why does the lsu fan want trouble i don't want trouble with these teams oh you just mean it's gonna be hard for you okay, yes well as a football viewer it's fun How about i know that? i think every listener will agree with me I, we want fifty-two nothing in these games, and we're not going to get it. Yeah, yeah, UAB yeah. also beat. Well, LSU. normally the U- sorry UAB beat LSU um, when I was a young young boy at home. It was on par with the Troy loss uh, at the time. So um, still, still sticks in my craw from that time. So I'm I'm not excited about that game. It's also late in the season, and I would like LSU to be at the top of their powers before they go on to the next week, going to Kyle Field. 
I can't wait to hear where you put this. I have no idea. I'm going to also put it at a seven and a half. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think, I think A&M is a year away from being the juggernaut that they want to be. Would agree. Um, they have right. to figure out quarterback. I mean, old friend Max Johnson is there. Um, you know, I'm curious I, what Hayes King is healthy like, because I, I, it's like we never got to see it last year, so I don't really know. But also, I think you know Jimbo is is recruiting his ass off and deserves all the plaudits for that. But he hasn't really had a great quarterback in a while. I need I need to see it. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, he he is Kel- he is hailed as Kellen Mond was just above average, like a nice guru. top half of the SEC guy for four years. Yeah, he hasn't had a great quarterback since like Jameis Winston. No, completely correct. He is not. So I, I think there needs to be some proof of concept at, of Jimbo Fisher, modern quarterback guru, uh, this year for A and M. But they're just a really good team. I know they're going to be well coached, even if the quarterback isn't great. I'm sure it's going to be a, a gritty, tough game. I'm going to put it at seven and a half because you know winning at Kyle Field is hard, and especially this version of Texas A and M. It's just going to be it's going to be a tough spot. And we'll see how LSU is doing health-wise. I mean, this is the last game of the year. Health matters on this point. All, all of these factors matter. Um, I'm just so fascinated to see what LSU is like here. Are we like, oh, man, you know, we had some great moments this year, but now we're kind of limited to the finish line in this first year of Brian Kelly, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I, don't have, I feel like I don't have a lot of data on this game. If Max Johnson no, is starting, so hard. I'm not scared. Because he is the person that I know. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I maybe it's just because I saw Max uh, maybe unfairly struggle with, uh, through a couple of uh, bad-ish coaches. But yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what he's like in a better, like, overall environment. Because I, I just – I it's like – if I ever get asked to like go on an A and M show and they'll like ask me, I'll be like, yeah, I don't know, man. I just flat out don't. I don't have any like analysis to give you on Max Johnson. Like, I just don't. I'd be lying because it's like, ah, God, I think he was in a terrible, terrible situation. But he also made some of the most mind-boggling decisions you've ever seen in your life, and True. some of the weirdest throws, like hopping. And I'm just like, yeah, I just don't know. I just think you just cancel that year, and I'm going to judge him by what happens next. I agree. I think this is going to be a big year for. I think A and M is going to probably be under more pressure at this point. Um, I mean, we'll see if LSU is making some surprising run. But to me, it's like this is going to be – I'm hopefully feeling good about the direction LSU's in, but this is kind of put up or shut up time for Texas A&M. They really need to be showing progress at this point in the Jimbo era. And this is this has become a nasty game uh, in a fun way, you know, emotionally for, for both sides. And especially with A&M's quote-unquote good team last year uh, struggling to a loss against – uh, one of the worst LSU teams of the modern era. So uh, you love to see it. I'm putting it at a seven and a half because I know I'm going to be emotionally up for this game. And I know if like LSU falls flat, it's going to kill me. So we'll see. But again, yeah, I think I think yeah. I was actually going to go lower. And then the more you talk, I'm like, yeah, I'm, that's too low. So yeah, seven and a half is exactly right. Now I want to end by saying the reason I wanted to do this exercise and I'm glad we did is to kind of paint the picture of like, the schedule's just weird because it's the SEC, it's hard as hell, and obviously else you can go seven and five and no part in would be shocked. But it's just weird because every team that normally is your eight and nine in the fear factor, they are all in flux right now. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. Auburn's in a disaster. Florida is gonna have a down year. 
Arkansas is going to be tough, but they lost a lot. Florida State's on a rebuild, and that was supposed to be a bigger one. That was scheduled. Like, every one of them, you could tell me they're actually top 15 next year, and I'd be like, oh, Ole Miss is in, in a re- like reload. So it's mm. like each one of them, if you told me they're top 15, I'll be like, man, that's fair. You could also tell me they're going to be awful. So we didn't have a single team other than Bama above eight or higher, right? Not a single one. So it's Correct. like it's just a weird year where you technically, if you are optimistic in this team, there are 11 games you probably on the right night could win. Yes. But I'd say there are six on the right night you could lose. Yep. So it's just so hard. And that's why I wanted to do this exercise. I'm feeling I'm it's feeling wide t- open, but it's not. It's, it's wide open. I'm feeling ten and two, Brody. But anyway, we can move on. I'm not there. Let's I'm quickly. Still. I know you're the objective observer. I'm the fan. Let's let's move on quickly to our last five minutes club, um, and it's kind of related. You know, we we got I some messaged our producer and he said, and we got an, it's all good. I said, hey, we went really long, so we're, we're clear. Let's go another hour. Uh, maybe not another hour. Um, but two, two hours. Wow. All right. This this listener asked, you know, for. For certain people who maybe aren't attending every home game, they're out of town. You know, when, when I didn't live here, uh, when I was up in the Northeast, I, I would really have to strategize which games I wanted to buy a flight for, what the weekend is, the best home game to attend. And now, this is going to be true this year, like it is every year. You have to first mention Alabama. It's going to be the best pregame atmosphere all year, for absolutely sure. Yep. And will most assuredly end in a painful loss that you will convince yourself that LSU is going to win early in the, like, you know, at two o'clock. It'll probably be a night game. And then at 11, you're going to be saying, man, I came all this way for pain. So if you, if you were coming for the tailgating atmosphere, do the Alabama game, buy the flight, come on down, have a great time, see Baton Rouge at its finest before the game. But, I will say the better choice is the Ole Miss game. It's going to be a more likely win for LSU. You're going to have the same kind of vitriol towards the opponent. I would like to think that the atmosphere is going to be just as good. And hopefully it's going to be a crowning achievement for the Brian Kelly era, beating Lane Kiffin by two touchdowns. What say you, Brody? Well, the correct answer is Southern, actually. Like, that's going to the bands, like, the bands are going to be an all bad right. Rouge game. That, that's actually, like, my pick. It's a weird home year schedule, so I'm just going to say that. Uh, oof, that's tough. For some reason, I thought AM was home. They're not, so yeah. Um, yeah. I think Ole Miss is the answer. Just the laneism of it. The Tennessee like might be a better game, but Tennessee isn't like fun or sexy it's or not. like a rival. Um, yeah. And you could even argue like the Caesar Dome, Caesars game, the Superdome game will be really fun to go to. But it will be. It's yeah, gonna be I think you were. Cr- yeah, I think Ole Miss is the correct answer because, unfortunately, it's genuinely just Ole Miss, Tennessee, or Mississippi State as your options. Right. So, yeah. Wow, what a weird home year. It is. It's, it's, I mean, obviously Bama, but yeah, I agree with your sentiment there. It's just not like that wouldn't be my one pick to go to. It's a headache. Like I feel like if I was like telling a friend what game to go to, I'd pick like the best second-tier game. Yeah. Just because like, accessibility matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Ole Miss is the pick. I totally agree. Um, and anything else you want to get off your chest, Brody? Uh, by the way, everybody, uh, thank you for sending in your questions. Please send some more in. Uh, I want to talk about some more stupid stuff on here next time. Pizza toppings, yeah, please. drinks, 
Um, what's our emoji this week, Brody? Should it be like the hourglass since we went so long this time? Ooh, hourglass is absolutely it. Good pick. There is an hourglass emoji, right? I'm not making that Yeah, up. there is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Send us the hourglass emoji. Send us some questions. And by the way, this is going to be the most to the, even though we got, this is the shortest five-minute club we've done yet, this is going to be <laughs> back to the core of what it's supposed to be. Because right. it was supposed to really be like, who in the world's still listening this late in the pod? And we went an hour 15 today. So we're really going to be able to check the numbers and see who loves them. And, and we'll see so the response. Please tweet us the hourglass if you Please if you tweet, uh, DM, email, all that works. Again, uh, my email is cbranch at theathletic.com. You can find me there. Send it all in. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us five stars, wherever, whichever platform you are uh, listening to us on, and we will see you next week. Bye.